So this week was a hard one for all of us. I suppose if you're like me, you're heartbroken, angry, confused, sad, lonely, gone through all the gamut of emotions. No matter what you're convinced is true, by the way, this was a hard week for Americans. I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative, this was a hard week. I don't care what kind of conservative you are, this was a hard week. This was a hard week. One of the people that I enjoy got on his YouTube channel. He's a homesteader, makes a bunch of YouTube videos about how to homestead, how to be completely off the grid and independent if you need to be, and I love the guy. I love watching him cut down trees. I love watching him make things, modify things, jerry-rig things. Just an absolutely interesting channel. He's also a Christian and a homeschooler, and so he's got a whole, a whole system of thought. And it's not my world, right? I'm living in town. It's like, I'm not doing half the stuff he's doing. I'm on the grid as much as you could be, but I love him and his family. And I kind of follow his story, and sometimes I pray for him. And this last week, I was watching what he was saying. And he was talking about, he was trying to encourage himself. I could tell. He was shaken, but he was trying to encourage himself. And he was having a hard time of it. I could see in his face he was having a hard time of it. And he's feeling like this might be the end of America. Anyone had that thought? Be honest. Yeah, be honest. Where did the civility go? Where did the respect go? Where did the process go? Where did the... I mean, this system doesn't work unless we can sit down and disagree and still treat each other good, right? And there's a whole lot more we could say about what, need, what needs to happen for the system to work. Yeah. But this is church, right? Are we supposed to talk about politics in church? Well, I'd kind of like to keep people's personal opinions away from the news desk and the pulpit. I'd like them to say facts, and I'd like preachers to say the Word of God. But I got all stirred up. It feels essential to me that Christians know, right now and always, that we are receiving a kingdom, according to Hebrews, we are receiving a kingdom, come on, say it with me, that cannot be shaken. I should tell you the words ahead of time so you can say it with me. Let's try it again. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, America can be shaken. Canada can be shaken. Europe can be shaken. The Holy Roman Empire was shaken. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we went down into the waters of baptism, y'all, we joined a different kingdom. We came up different. We have a new leader, a new kingdom, a new promised land, a new, a, new, a new constitution called the Sermon on the Mount. And we are secure in Christ no matter what. We've read the end of the story. We know how it goes. We know who wins. And the one who has already overcome will enable us to overcome, come what may. Come what may. I got a friend who won't read the book of Revelation. I keep telling him, I love the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is like you won the World Series. I heard Louis Giglio say this one time. He, his team won the World Series. He flipped open his phone. That tells you how long ago this was. He flipped open his phone, and he just let his friend, he was gloating over his friend, he just let his friend hear the crowds. <gasps> Never said a word. That's the book of Revelation, y'all. 
Book of Revelation is not a story about how all the crap's going to hit the fan and your life's going to be absolutely terrible. Of course, listen to Jesus, right? He says, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that do nothing else. Well, hello there. Don't, I'll just stand over here. Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do nothing. Fear the Lord. Trust the Lord. Rely on the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Depend on the Lord. Look to the Lord. Surrender to the Lord. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Back in the day, I come from a people who are a warlike people. I don't know if you know that about us Mennonites. Now I'm being dead serious. We started not so strong. We thought it's our job to bring the kingdom on earth by force, by the sword. So we took over the city of Munster and we staged a rebellion against the government of Germany. We took over. We, we declared it the, the kingdom of Christ on earth. We said, we heard God. He told us this is our land. We're taking it back. We're going we're gonna to fight for Jesus. So we took over the city of Munster in a rebellion. Smile, y'all. We suck. It didn't go so hot. People were doing crazy stuff in the name of being biblical. Uh, at the very beginning of the 16th century, it didn't work. The German government came and shut us down, but it was craziness up in there. They were reading Bible verses and saying, the Bible should be the rule for, this, for the government. So then they did the Bible, by which I mean they killed people who the Bible said to kill, Oh, you're a rebellious kid? Kill you. And they had multiple wives. Polygamy. Why? Well, the Old Testament had polygamy. We're going to do it. We're going to be biblical. Didn't go so hot. You know how it ended? It ended in blood. The German nation shut it down, put it down hard. You know why? When you try to build the kingdom of God through the sword, you end up dying by the sword. Time and time and time and time again before Jesus came, lots of false messiahs came and they always did that. They always did that every time they did that. Did you know that? Remember Gamaliel standing up when Peter and John healed a man? Well, they didn't heal him. Jesus healed him. When Jesus healed a man through Peter and John at the temple, and it causes a big stir, and then they're in an uproar, Gamaliel stands up in the Sanhedrin when they're like, you can't do this. You can't preach in this name. Gamaliel says, hold up, y'all. Y'all know the history stories. Here comes a guy full of waving, waving the Israel flag because we're going to kick the Roman bums out. We're going to kick the Roman bums out. We're going to kick the Roman bums out. We're going to set it up to get back to the nation the way it was founded when David and Solomon founded it this way. We're going to get back to it. And they'd stir up a crowd and the crowd would go, yeah, we're going to do it for God and for Israel. Here we go. And then nothing would come up except they'd all get killed by the Romans. So Gamaliel says of this little fledgling Jesus group that's causing a stir in the city of Jerusalem, he says, guys, chillax. I doubt that's exactly the words he used. (laughs) Guys, chillax. Stop tripping. If this is not of God, it's going to be just like all those other messianic movements. They They quote the Bible. They stirred us up with patriotism and they get us to run in there and do dumb stuff in the name of God that gets a bunch of people killed and causes more havoc. They become a monster to try to defeat a monster, right? If it's not of God, it'll go nowhere. If it is of God, you won't be able to fight it. Here's my thing. Let's see what happens. Let's take our hands off it. Isn't that an interesting logic? 
He's appealing to their knowledge of history, which we don't, we don't read. The Protestants don't read the book of Maccabees, but they're available if you want to read them. He talks all about the, the zeal that Jewish people had to get their country back from these pagans because they had a promise. They had a promise from God that God would multiply Abraham's children, make them a people. Bam, it's a people from God. They had a promise that he would give them land. They had a promise that he would send them an anointed king, a spirit-anointed king to rule over them. These were foundational, and these were the sorts of things that caused people to constantly be running after these false messiahs, taking up the sword and trying to get it back from the pagans. Incidentally, this is why when Jesus goes into the city a week before, they cry, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're thinking he's one of these guys. He's going he's to kick out the Roman overlords. He's going to take back the seat of power. The pagans will be kicked out. The godly will be ushered into political office. Here we go, guys. It's going to be awesome. A week later, a week later, not even long, when they realize that Jesus isn't going to fulfill their political expectations, they turn on him. And Pilate says, do you want Barabbas? Barabbas. Who was Barabbas, guys? He was an insurrectionist. He was one of these folks I've been telling you about. He was a, they would have called him a patriot. A misguided person trying to take matters into his own hands. And the crowd says, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Why? Because Jesus has failed us. He has not fulfilled the promise of Messiah to bring us a people and a land free of pagan control. Were their expectations right? Sort of. Sort of. Was their timeline right? Sort of. But their expectations for the people were. Turns out, who, are the Israel, who is the Israel of God? Everyone who has the faith of Abraham, Jewish and Gentile alike. And where is the holy land? The meek shall inherit the... Turns out it's a lot big. The promise, the promise for the people is a lot bigger than we thought, isn't it? doesn't exclude Jews. It includes everyone of the faith of Abraham. The promise for the land is a lot bigger than we expected, isn't it? Listen, y'all, there's not an inch on this planet that your feet do not possess. Every place on which your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. Why? Because you are the co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because the Father, all that the Father has belongs to his Son. The meek will inherit the whole. I, I run this joint, y'all. Like when I walk onto your land and I'm trespassing, I'm on my land, friend. This system, like, it's like the Native American said, right? What are, they, what are, they, what are these Europeans going like, to try to lay claim to the sky next? Think they can own the rivers? It's God's. And if I'm God's, it's mine. And it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of of time. Anyway, so the, their, expect, their expectations for who are the people was too small. Their expectations for where is the land 
was too small, and their expectations for what the king would do were also a little off. And so they cry out, give us Barabbas. Guys, I feel like we sometimes get caught up in that stuff too. Maybe we don't take to the streets, but we change our vision. And we end up kind of getting distracted because our battle's not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, spiritual evil, right? Evil in the spiritual realm. That's where the real fight is. And, and some of us know that, but we still think that the fight in the spiritual realm is for political power, not the hearts and souls of people. Now, what I think it would be good if we had righteousness in our laws. Uh-huh, I do. Do I think it would be great if we had righteousness in the hearts of the people who make the decisions? Uh-huh, I do. But is it the end of the world for us believers when we find that we're still in Rome? It's not. It's not. His kingdom is still coming, guys. I didn't even finish my story about, about my, my violent ancestors, did I? Yeah, they came and killed us, and then we learned a couple of lessons. We ended up, this is what we ended up concluding. Ah, uh, that doesn't go so hot to try to build the kingdom on earth. To, it doesn't go so hot to assume that my vision of what God's will is, is actually his will. It doesn't go so hot. Me plus my Bible and, and my convictions and what I feel like I heard God said, and then I'm going to take matters into my own. That doesn't go so hot. So our people became aware that maybe we should reevaluate this Jesus guy. And we looked at Jesus and we said, look, he taught us to love our enemies. That's wild. He taught us not to, to kill when they try to kill us. So they were a church-state combo defending themselves with the weapons of the state. And that experience was like a spanking that caused them to really dig down deep and go, should I be defending myself against evil people using the same weapons that they do? And my ancestors concluded that Jesus has not just taught in the Sermon on the Mount how it works in the kingdom, but that he showed by laying down his life instead of fighting, right? Listen to this. There's some scripture for the kids. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Fascinating, right? So the question is not, can countries, are countries justified in having armies? That's a different question than the question I'm asking. The question is, how do we build the kingdom? How do we spread the kingdom? How do we manifest the kingdom? How do we belong to the kingdom? How do we live as citizens of the kingdom? That's the question. And I really just think you can't follow Barabbas and build the kingdom. You'll be building your own kingdom in God's name. Think about Paul, the apostle Paul, 100% armed with his Bible, 100% armed with biblical truth. It feels essential to me that we Christians come to understand that our baptism has, has made us citizens of heaven and our president is Jesus and our politic is the Sermon on the Mount and our party is not the Republican Party, it's the kingdom of God. And if that's the truth, then we can be unshaken. Unshaken, unshaken, unshaken. And my reading of church history is that Christians throughout church history have been killing each other in God's name forever. 
I'm sorry to wait. if you've not read history yet, it's the facts. Christians have been killing each other in the name of biblical truth forever. And they started new countries so they could have only the people like them live there. Even the original colonies of the United States were denominational colonies. You're welcome as long as you were part of our denominational group. The reason that my weirdo people ended up in Pennsylvania was because William Penn's Quakers didn't kill heretics, didn't make it illegal to be a heretic. They said, fine, if, even though you're a heretic, you can come and live here. Many of these Christian nations in Europe actually burned heretics at the stake, including my ancestors. Cut our tongues out because apparently that was, uh, it, it was really annoying when you go to burn somebody at the stake and they convert people. So they started cutting our tongues out because they found that it's a little harder for us to preach that way. Protestants and Catholics alike killed my people. America was started because they wanted religious freedom. Am I right? It was started to try to escape some of the broken stuff of the tyranny that was happening in Europe that I just described. I love, I love the split between the church and the state in this nation, and here's what I mean. I don't mean that I love when Christians don't participate in government, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I love that there is no official religion that can be imposed on the people. I love that I live in a pluralistic, secular, democratic republic with freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I love it. I love living here. But if you take away our political freedoms, if you throw us in prison, the word of God is not chained. If you throw Paul in prison, what happens? The whole prison gets to hear about the gospel and the poor soldiers that are chained next to him, <laughs> they have the worst of it. <laughs> Those boys went in knowing nothing and they came out knowing a whole lot of Bible about Jesus. Our freedom in Christ is so deep, it's so deep, that no matter what government we're under, it is unaffected. I'm going to say that again. Our freedom in Christ is so deep, it's so strong, that no matter what government you're under, it's unaffected. I think it's time for us believers to stop imagining that we live in a Christian nation. I've been saying this for a good 20 years. I think it's time for us to think of our nation as pagan. And I think it's time for us to stop trying to grasp for legal control of it and instead live as missionaries who pour out our lives for people to win their hearts because America will never be Christian simply because its structures externally are Christian. It didn't work in Geneva. Christian Europe was unchristian. You were born and then baptized whether you believed or loved or understood a spiritual thing in your whole life. Christian Europe was not Christian. The Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman. I'm interested in the spirit of Christ in the hearts of men and women, not just laws that hang on walls in buildings. Now, I think 
I think if we, if we are faithful, if we, if we represent Jesus well enough, I think as salt preserves, I think it will have an influential effect that takes place in the visible and in the structural. I think it will. I think as the light shines brighter, the influence will cause, the beauty of the virtue of Jesus will cause people to want what we're selling. But I think the harder we, we, we white-knuckle grip our, our, on power, the more they'll hate our Jesus and our church and we'll actually lose our influence. Don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. Don't hear me saying give up on America or Americans. I'm saying let's switch our mindset from takeover to serve in love. We want influence and control backfires. We want influence. I want the kingdom to spread. I want, I want hearts to see the beauty of God. And you go, well, yeah, but they're not going to see it. I feel that. I understand. Yeah, but we're promised persecution. I, I know that. I agree with that. I agree. Half the reason the book of Revelation was given was a call to the perseverance of the saints. It's not just a we win, but it's a we win, therefore, persevere through hardship. And let's say they do take your stuff. Let's say they do throw you in prison. Let's say they do steal your reputation and make your life nothing but pain. Then your reward at the resurrection of the righteous will be even more. We've got to take an eternal view. Got to take an eternal view. So I love that I live here, but let's start to think more like missionaries. More like missionaries. Um, A tangentially related point is this. The kingdom of God is not identical with the church. I wish it was. It is not. That's a whole sermon, so I'm not going to preach the whole sermon. But the kingdom of God is not equivalent to the church. The kingdom of God is the place where the rule of God is manifest on the earth. The church is very imperfect. Have you noticed? The fact that you're daily praying that you would honor God's name correctly and do his will on earth as it is in heaven, you're not doing his will perfectly and you're one of his kids. You're only partially reflecting the kingdom. So let's not equate the kingdom of God with the church. Maybe maybe another way I could say this is in the book of Acts, the kingdom is moving in and through the church, but it's also moving outside the church and beyond the church. And it's freaking out the apostles. Here's Cornelius, who's already talking to God and on good terms with God, but doesn't know Jesus yet. He's hearing God's voice, but he doesn't yet understand the fullness of salvation. If he died while Peter's on the way to bring him the gospel, he goes to heaven because he believes God. So he's not entering forgiveness of sins in that moment. He's entering into the fullness of what it is to have the assurance of forgiveness of sins. He's moving from Old Testament faith of Abraham to to an even more revealed faith that the apostles have in Christ. And right in the middle of Peter's speech, the Spirit comes on him, and it's totally out of order. You're supposed to get baptized. You're supposed to repent, believe, get baptized, then receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I ain't waiting. And then Peter's going, well, I guess I should baptize him, but he's a Gentile. So the church doesn't understand the kingdom yet. The kingdom's moving on ahead and the church is playing catch up. 
I, I, we got to think about the church almost like a secular institution, y'all. And, and we're, my job, I think of myself like a spy who snuck into the church to try to give the church Jesus. That's how I think about myself. You don't have to agree with me. That's how I think. Helps me not get so frustrated. I think I'm a spy. It's like I'm a Christian working in a public school. This public school just happens to be the church. And if that's how I think about my calling in a church, I think it's okay if the church in the society think about themselves as missionaries living in a pagan society. This is what I told my buddy. God's people throughout history have seen pagan empires rule that were far more corrupt and vicious than this one, and the gospel spread most in those times. Times much worse than this. So let's gain some perspective. Just because it's suddenly bad here in our little world doesn't mean that the Antichrist is upon us and the end has come. But guys, that's an American-centric worldview. Christians in the whole rest of the world have been experiencing incredible real persecution, thrown in prison, stripped of your goods, tortured for their faith for generations and generations. We get a little bump in the road and we go, oh, it's the end. The center of human history is not America. Uh, I actually do think that in the book of Revelation, Babylon, who teaches the nations her greed and idolatry and sexual immorality, if I was looking around for candidates, I'd be like, yeah, that's us. I think we live in Babylon, y'all. I'm not trying to be harsh. We need Jesus. So God's people throughout history have seen pagan empires rule far more corrupt than this one, far more vicious, and the gospel spread the most in times like that. Let's gain perspective. Let's get in touch with the whole history of the church, the whole church all over the whole world right now. They can teach us some stuff. For how, the, the church in China can teach us how to walk through. What, what would it look like? What would it look like to shine even brighter? Communism shuts down the church, tries to, makes it illegal. They open up the borders to us and we walk in and millions of Christians. What in the world? You would think that would shut the church down. No, it purified the church. It raised the bar of discipleship so high that if you were casually interested in Jesus, you stayed home. But if you were ready to die for him, you showed up for church. It raised the purity high because it made the stakes so high and it caused discipleship, which is not discipleship, which is not talking about Jesus, y'all. It's following Jesus. It raised those stakes so high and the church got pure in hard times. Am I saying I want persecution? Heck no. I pray for peace that we might be free to do our thing and go live our lives for the Lord. I do not want persecution. But let's not freak out if we start to be disagreed with passionately. America may come and go. I hope she don't. I'm blessed to live here. But let's be careful not to get our dreams for our nation so wrapped up in our heart that they take over and become more important than our dream for the people of our nation to meet Jesus. This is the mission field. And losing political power might be the only way for us to demonstrate good fruit by deeds. Instead of talking about how the liberals, fascists, and secularists are coming to get us, how about we lay our lives down for liberals and fascists and socialists and secularists? Let's lay our lives down for them. Let's stop running away from Nineveh, like Jonah. You know why he ran? Because he knew God was merciful and he wanted the judgment to fall. Let's stop running away from Nineveh and instead run to Nineveh. 
Let's get in touch with the heart the Father has for the Ninevites. Because underneath what they're currently doing is their true selves, and God hasn't lost sight of their true selves any more than he lost sight of yours when you were far from home. So let's read Jesus. Let's study Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Jesus is the point of all the scripture. Jesus is the point of all of our lives. So let's start with Jesus and let's stay with Jesus. As far as I can tell, the Pharisees are the conservatives and the Sadducees are the liberals. How about we reject both? How about we reject ideology? How about we stop building human systems to label ourselves? How about we have relationship with the king of the universe define us? How about you become who you were created to be instead of a need to fit into a group because world's scary and you're looking for a herd to cling to? Once you're in that group, then anyone who's not in that group becomes your enemy and you dehumanize them and it's easier for you to resent them and post pictures of Nancy Pelosi in a really ugly face and calling her names and cursing her on Facebook. That stuff's crazy, y'all. That is crazy. You know, slander and those kind of things are on the lists, the same list that say those who, like homosexual, same-sex relationships, those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Slanderers, that's on the list too. So Christians slandering left political leaders with vitriolic hate and malice in their heart and scorn. I'm telling you guys, you're lost. You're going to hell. It's terrifying to me. How did we get there? How did we get to where we're willing to curse people made in the image of God because we disagree with them? That's ideology, dude. That's not the character of Jesus formed in us. That's coming from hell. It's coming from hell. We will not save the world, y'all. We will not fix the world. The best we can hope to do is leave our little corner of the world a little bit better than we found it. But we will shape the world around us only into the image we've become, which means our primary job is not to fix or save the world. Our primary job is to daily experience the peace, hope, and joy of Jesus. And then, and then only, can we maybe put our little corner back together a little better? Until then, we're likely to mess it up works in God's name. So, truth is a person, not a policy, not an ideology, not a party. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Our real fight is with sin. Our own. We've met the enemy and he is us. So no compromises with ourselves. Lots of grace and mercy for others. Don't tell there's a better way unless we can also show there's a better way. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I trust you with this land. I ask God that you would raise up your church. I ask God that we would know you that we would love you, that we would honor you, that we would obey you. And I ask God for a great revival. I ask God that your churches would rise up, shine even brighter. And then like, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the quality of their character would cause them to rise through the ranks and create an even higher platform for your kingdom to come in the midst of Babylon. In Jesus' name, amen.